Welcome to the Crosswalk Church Podcast, Phoenix, Arizona. When I say everything is going to be okay, what sort of feelings and thoughts come up inside of you? Think about that for a second, that phrase, everything is going to be okay. Now, for some of you, it actually might not be a good feeling because maybe you've been told this so many times or in certain situations that you just don't believe it anymore. I think it depends on the situation that you're in when you hear this phrase, right? Let's, let's put some examples here. Let's say you're at the dentist office and uh, you're lying flat on your back on the dentist chair. You know, you're staring up at that bright light that always is just like right in your face. And you've got all those instruments in your mouth, right? And you can't talk, and the dentist is trying to ask, answer, ask you questions, and you're trying to answer, but you can't really. And then all of a sudden, you hear that, that great sound, right? You hear that of that drill. And then the dentist sees the chair wrinkle because your hands are gripping it really tight, and he sees the whites of your eyes get big. And, and so he says, oh, come on now, everything's going to be okay. Bzzz, he fires up the drill again. Yeah, and you say, I, I don't think so. I, I don't believe you. Sometimes in that situation, we might not believe the dentist when he says that, right? Also, some of you out there, and, and, and I'm, I'm in this category, some of you out there, you know, you're a little bit of, of a worry work right? You're always verbalizing your fear. There's always something that's going to happen. So you're telling your friends and your family all the time, oh, what if this happens? What if that happens, right? And then they get so frustrated, they get so angry that they just finally say, everything is going to be okay. And then you worry that, that you offended them. So really, that's not very convincing, is it? When someone yells at you that everything's going to be okay. So now you're thinking, man, I really can't trust this person. And a lot of us out here, we heard this phrase at really the wrong time. Maybe at a time when we were extremely vulnerable, at a time when something really traumatic happened in our lives. Let's say you just lost a job. Or maybe you just lost a loved one. Maybe uh, an important relationship to you was, was severed. Or maybe your reputation was ruined. Perhaps you got some really bad news about your health. And then that unlucky person at an inopportune time came up to you and tapped you on the shoulder and said, hey, everything's going to be okay. And you thought in your head, everything's going to be okay? You got to be kidding me. Are you blind? Did you not just see what happened in my life? Did you not just hear the bad news? Today we're talking about a confident faith and what a confident faith looks like. So before we go any further, let's drill down on what faith really is. Faith is simple. It's trusting God when he tells you something. It's clinging to his promises that he gives us in his word. And you know the thing about faith is that this message today isn't going to be a how-to sermon. It's not going to be how do we gain this faith? How do we produce it ourselves? You know what it's going to be? It's going to be a how the Holy Spirit already has done it for you. And this is really a message just to let you recognize what a confident faith looks like. Recognize what the Holy Spirit has already given you and will give you in his word. 
in order that we can bring glory to God. Because you know what? When we look at what a confident face really looks like from what the Bible tells us, it might be a little different than what we thought. So let's dig into our scripture for today, which comes from the book of Matthew. And this story is a famous one. It's when Jesus was betrayed and handed over in the Garden of Gethsemane. And in this story, in this account, we not only find how far Jesus was willing to go for you and me, but actually we see what true faith is like. Because we often don't think about Jesus having faith, but you know what? He had faith in his father, in his father's plan. So let's get out our Bibles, get out our crosswalk notes. And we're in the book of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 47 to 56. Follow along with me. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. With that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call in my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the scripture be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Now I want to point out something that's really kind of strange in these verses. Here Jesus is being arrested, being handed over to more than 200 men in the middle of the night with torches, with clubs. And he mentions something twice here. If you notice, I, I believe it's in verse 54 and, and also uh, in verse 56, he talks about this fulfillment of scripture, right? How would the scriptures be fulfilled? And he talks about the words of the prophets being fulfilled. Why is Jesus talking about this word prophecy at a time as traumatic as this, right? Because, you know, personally, I think when we hear of this word prophecy, a lot of us get freaked out a little bit. We think of prophecy as some strange person standing up and making these wild claims about the end of the world or making wild claims about what life will be like and 200 300 years right we get a little bit weirded out so what i want you to do is look at your crosswalk notes and we're going to fill in we're going to define what prophecy really is because a discussion about faith permits a discussion about this word prophecy so what you'll see is that prophecies are really the words of a prophet and a prophet is simply a spokesman for god so when God appointed someone to say, hey, I want you to go to a certain people and say something, their words were prophecies. Now, because so many prophecies in the Bible were predictions about the future, 
predictions about what was going to come, our modern day definition is a valid one that a prophecy can be a prediction of the future. Now, it's interesting, what's interesting is that in the Old and the New Testament, there are hundreds of prophecies about Jesus. Some of them were told hundreds, if not thousands of years before he walked the earth. Some of them he said himself, about himself. Now, many of them have already taken place. Some of them are going to take place in the future. But you see why Jesus talked about prophecy here? It's for two reasons. All this stuff was going on, and you know what? His disciples and and you and I, nowadays, we get to read this, and we might say, what's going on? Our Savior is being arrested and handed over, and he's doing it to show us that our faith is valid. Saying, look, hundreds of years ago, it was told that this was going to happen, and now it's taking place. There's part of the proof. And the second reason why he talks about prophecy here is to show his own faith in his father. Because the truth is, Jesus is true God, and he's also true man. And as true man, he suffered the same temptations and weaknesses that that, that we do. So he's able to identify with us. So don't you think he felt like he had the pressure of the world on his shoulders when he was supposed to save the world? And God told him that this had to be the way. This was the plan. And so he's saying, yep, I believe my father in what he says, even though he sees what's ahead of him, all the trouble and all the persecution and all the pain and the death. He says, you know what? I'm going to trust my father because it was said long ago that this was going to happen, have to happen. Now, the thing is about prophecy, about promises is that, you know, they're not always happy ones, right? They're not always ones that will put a happy smile on our face. Some promises God makes to us are completely true, but they almost sound a little bit negative. And it's no different with what he said about Jesus, with the prophecies about the Savior. Let's look at our next verses here. And you'll notice that many of these verses today are prophecies. Many of these verses are are things that prophets said long ago, and, and some of them that Jesus said. So let's walk through these prophecies and see that in them we find hope, we find truth, and we find evidence for a confident faith. So let's look here. This first prophecy that we see in Psalm 41, verse 9, again, written way before Jesus' time. Even my close friend whom I trusted, he who shared my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. That was a promise, a prophecy made about Jesus, and it's fulfilled here with Judas. Judas, one of the twelve, he's called. Every time Judas is mentioned betraying Jesus, the authors of the Bible say Judas, one of the twelve. Why do you think they did that? It's to show that not some enemy, not some giant conspiracy hauled Jesus away, but his friend. Jesus wasn't betrayed by some enemy. He was stabbed in the back by someone who called him teacher, who called him his Lord. And he was betrayed with a kiss. And this verse talking about bread and dipping the hand in the bread bowl. Well, you know what? Judas ate with God a lot. Judas ate with Jesus all the time. 
But especially this night was the first night that Jesus celebrated what you and I know as the Lord's Supper, Holy Communion. And Judas actually broke the same bread with Jesus on that night that he betrayed him. Man, talk about some prophecy. But it was true. And the next prophecy here doesn't get much better. Let's look to Zechariah 13.7. Again, said way before Jesus' time. Strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. This verse is fulfilled in the very last verse of our text in Matthew when it says all the disciples deserted him and fled. Because Jesus is called the good shepherd in the New Testament. And we, his followers, the disciples, his followers are called his sheep. And I don't know if you know much about herding sheep. I I don't really. But if you take away the shepherd, the sheep don't know what to do. They run around and, you know, they don't know where to go. And that's what the disciples were like. You took away Jesus out of the equation. Jesus had been struck. Jesus was arrested. He was handed over with all these guys with clubs and and swords and spears and torches. And so they tucked tail and they ran out of there. So the prophecies we see about Jesus are that he was betrayed by a friend and deserted by those who followed him. Man. Doesn't seem too good in his his faith life, right? A lot of reasons for him to doubt his father. And you know, for you and you and I in life and in our faith walk, there's a lot of things that happen that are just like that. Let's let's look at our next verse here. This is a promise to you and I. It's not one we like to hear, but it's one that we need to hear. Acts 14:22. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. When we're talking about faith, we've got to be upfront and honest and say in our faith life, in our lives, painful times are unavoidable. They're they're just going to be there. And we can actually look to those times to say, yep, you know, God told me that was going to be that way. So you know what? It's even God proving himself again when I suffer bad times, because you and I know that there's going to be times in your life when you are betrayed by someone. And maybe you have been, and it really hurt you emotionally. There's going to be times when, whether by thought, word, or deed, someone is going to desert you that you thought was there for you. And and if you're a Christ follower, if you're a Christian, the Bible says not only do you have to go through this broken world, but also you carry this thing called your own personal cross, which means that you will suffer because of Jesus' name. Sometimes we might be mocked or ridiculed because of our faith. Sometimes we will be compelled to stand up and say something when no one else will because we know Jesus would want us to. Sometimes we know that we won't do things that other people are doing because we are Christ followers. And at times that can be really tough, can it? Through many hardships we will enter the kingdom of God. But I think the most painful part, actually, is when the tables turn, when we have to deal with the guilt when we betray other people. We have to deal with the feelings of remorse and sorrow when when we desert our loved ones. And we have to deal with the fact that, that we're the ones who mocked God and spit in his face every time that we disobey him. Because the fact is, We cause Jesus' blood, sweat, and tears to flow. 
We caused his pain. And we caused his death. And our faith admits that. Our faith admits that so that we can see why Jesus had to shed those things. And we know what Jesus' death meant for us. And what him him rising from the dead means for us today is that we don't have to live enslaved to sin anymore because of what he did. But it doesn't change the fact that we're going to have painful times. So that brings me to our first point. Our first point here is that a confident faith admits that painful times are unavoidable. You know, because I think sometimes as Christians, we might think that when we believe in God, we've got to be these happy freaks. We've got to be these hyper-optimistic people who have to plaster a smile on our face. Everything's okay always. It's great. No matter what. Even though inside some pain's going on, I'm going to put this smile on so everyone thinks I'm happy. We think that that's how we're supposed to live. But if we look at Jesus and his example, Jesus was actually a realist. Because before this text, before Jesus was arrested that very night, we will find him on his knees in the garden with his hands folded and drops of of sweat coming down like drops of blood because he was saying such a heartfelt prayer to God and he was going through so much pressure. Some of you may may know this story. Jesus was realizing what he was going to have to suffer. Remember, Jesus is true man as well as true God. And so he understands what pressure is. He understands what what fear is. And here he was experiencing literally the weight of the, sh- of the world on his shoulders. And he is completely transparent to God. And he says, God, if there's any other way to take this cup from me, do so. But he adds something to that. He adds, not my will, but your will be done. He says, God, this is what I think should happen. And I'm experiencing some pressure, but I trust you and your decision And you know what? God gave him his answer. And the answer was, this is my plan. It has been since the beginning of time. It has been since the book of Genesis. We get our first gospel promise where Jesus is is promised to save the world from sin. So it's been going on all along. This is the plan. And Jesus knew that his father would give him the strength to do it. And so just after Jesus says this prayer, he says this next verse here, verse 50. Quite a change in attitude, quite a change in his thought process. It says, Jesus replied, and he's speaking to Judas, friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. Boy, I don't know if I'd have the courage to say that. Someone's coming to arrest me, to betray me, and say, hey, come and and do what you came for. Jesus knew what was going to happen. That sounded like someone who was trusting his father, who was trusting that everything was going to be okay. Because he knew God's relationship to him. And you know, the thing is, is that what was Jesus doing here? He was pointing back to the past. He was saying, Judas, I knew from the very beginning that you were going to betray me because my father told me. He was pointing back to the past as evidence for God's faithfulness in the future. Let's not forget to do that in our own lives. Go back to the past. 
Go back to your past. And I want you to do this today. Think about how many times in your life you were going like this down that drain. And God scooped you up in his arms and he rescued you. I bet many of you in here can list numerous times right off the top of your head of when God did that. I know I definitely can. But don't stop there. You got all these people in here. Go up to any Christ follower and ask them to tell you their story. And I guarantee it will be filled with trials and temptations. And it will be filled with, look how God rescued me from that. Look how God delivered me from that. He promises he's always with me. He promises that he forgives my sins. He promises that everything will turn out for my good. And you know what? It it has. Wow. You know, what we can also do is go back to Christians who have long passed on. Go back to early church fathers. Go back to the history books and see what they wrote and and, and the trials and, and the persecution they endured and how they spoke of God's amazing faithfulness. And then last but not least, if you're not convinced by that, well, that's why Jesus talks about scripture here. That's why God gave us the Bible is because in the Bible, we hear about God's saving acts in scripture. Read about Moses, read about Abraham, read about King David, read about the apostles and how God's promises never failed. Even when the people he was promising to failed on their part, God never failed on his promise. Look to the past as evidence For a confident faith. But God doesn't just make us rely on the past. No, no, no. He's a God looking forward as well. He's a God of the future. One of my favorite passages is in the book of Jeremiah. And in Jeremiah, God tells us that he has plans for us. Plans not to harm us, but to make us prosper. Plans to give us hope and a future. One of my other favorite passages is when Jesus tells us, you know what? Right now, I'm in heaven preparing a mansion for you. It's got a little nameplate on the door, and it's got your name on it. And Pastor Jeff told us last week that we're already kings and queens in God's kingdom. Boy, those are all promises that we can look forward to. And the thing is, is that Jesus himself looked to the future. Let's look here. In Matthew 20, 18 to 19, our next verse. Now, these are words that Jesus said before all this happened, before he was arrested. Okay? He was predicting. He was saying a prophecy. We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day, he will be raised to life. Now, some of those things don't look like a very happy future. It kind of looks like Jesus' doom, right? He's going to be handed over and and mocked, and he's going to be flogged, which is whipped, and, and eventually killed, crucified, right? But I think there's a reason why there's a little exclamation point at the end of that last verse, right? He will be raised to life on the third day. Jesus was looking towards the future. He knew why all of this had to happen. He knew why he had to suffer the pain of the world. He knew that why he had to be handed over and, and whipped and crucified and mocked 
and betrayed and denied and deserted. It's because he knew that by his death and his resurrection, he would beat death for all time. So that you and I wouldn't have to live in fear anymore. So that you and I can live our lives in peace and we can truly say everything will be okay because of what Jesus did. So our second point is this. A confident faith looks to the past for evidence and to the future for hope. Looks to the past for evidence and the future for hope. Now, the message of our series, to, uh, this, this series, the past couple weeks, blood, sweat, and tears, right? Now, in order to shed those things, you've got to do something. You've got to do something to bleed and to sweat and to cry, right? Those are action-oriented things. I find it amazing that often in today's day and age, many people view Jesus as nothing more than a simple pacifist. That the only reason he came was to show nonviolence, and that's it. And they use some of these verses in Matthew to prove their point. Our next verse, for example, verse 55 I've referenced there. Let's look at that one again. At that time, Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching, and you did not arrest me. And so these people who just want to say Jesus is nothing more than a pacifist will say, look it, he was telling them not to use weapons. And then they'll point to the disciple Peter. And he was the one in our text for today who took out his dinky little sword and, and sliced off the ear of the servant to the high priest. And they'll point and they'll say, look, Jesus said, put away your sword for those who live by the sword will die by the sword. And they'll even say that Jesus was arrested and that he was handed over. And that he let himself even be put to death simply because he didn't want to resist. Simply because he wanted to show pacifism. Now what I'm saying is that this text and this context really showed Jesus to be the ultimate activist. Let's look back at that verse. What does it say here in verse 55 again? He says, am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts and you did not arrest me. It almost goes back to what he said to Judas. Friend, do what you came for. Jesus wasn't resisting because he knew he had something to do. Go ahead, take me away. You don't have to come out in the middle of the night. You don't have to come with, with swords and clubs and, and torches. You think I'm leading a rebellion? No, I have something to do. And he had laser focus on the cross and on the tomb. He was action-oriented for you and for me. Let's look at our next verse. And our next verse is one of the most famous prophecies of all time. It sums up really what our faith is based in. Let's look here from the book of Isaiah. Chapter 53, verses 4 to 6. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows... Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Now, when we say this word, faith, 
A lot of people throw around this word faith. You got to have faith. I have faith in this. I have faith in that. But more important than that word faith is what you have your faith in. What do you base and what do you really focus your faith on? Because there's a lot of things that we could focus our faith on. A lot of things we could put our faith in. And some of them might prove true right now in the immediate future. Maybe we'll put our faith in ourselves or our possessions. Or maybe we'll just put our faith in chance. All of those will fall away like sinking sand at some point. But the fact is that you and I can base our faith on the fact that Jesus was an activist and he actively was pierced for your transgressions. And he was crushed for your sins. And he took up your sorrows. He took your punishment to give you peace, not just on this life, but peace in eternity. And because of his wounds, we're healed. And he did that all because he loves you. Because he's your savior. He did that all not because he was this pacifist, but because he was this activist. That is something rock solid to base our faith on. So our, last, our next point here, number three, is that a confident faith is focused on the cross and the empty tomb of Jesus. And you'll see that I reference Matthew 20, 19 again. On the third day, he will be raised to life. That's, again, a verse to show where we base our faith. Now for our fourth point here, I want to talk about faith and trust in other people. Because I don't know about you, but you know that, that, that term, don't trust strangers? Well, there's a reason why we don't trust strangers. And it's all about relationship. We don't have a relationship with that stranger, right? We don't know anything about them. Why do we trust our loved ones? And why do we trust doctors and policemen? It's because of our relationship to them. We know what our family is like. And maybe at some point we don't trust them because maybe we get burned. We know that, that policemen and doctors, they, they go to, to study and, and go into that profession because they want to serve and they want to help. And so we trust them. We trust them on that relationship. And you know what? Let's say someone recommends a mechanic to you. You'll probably trust that mechanic because of your relationship to the person who referred you to it. It's all about relationship. Jesus knew his relationship to God the Father. He was God's son. And so that's why he can say this next verse that we're going to go over to Peter. Because Peter wasn't trusting in God's relationship. Nope. What was he trusting in? His little, little sword, his little dagger. He thought that, okay, I've got I've to make my faith be proven here. I've got to pull out my sword and defend Jesus. No one else will. So I will. So I'm going to slice the ear off of some guy. He was trusting in his own dedication to God, dedication to his faith, rather than on his relationship to God. Because who was Peter? A child of God. Who was Jesus? His Savior. Rather than relying on his Savior, he relied on a piece of metal. Man, but Jesus, what did he say here? Verse 53. Do you think I cannot call on my father 
and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels. Jesus is saying this, you know, God, the father and I, we got something going on here. Okay. Jesus is saying, I know people. I know God as my father. So if I really need someone to come down and help me, I'm pretty sure that, you know, God's got a bigger sword than you do. I'm pretty sure that he can fill this place with, with angels and protect me and protect you and all of us. Cause he was trusting in God's relationship to him. He was trusting in him that God will protect me. God wants me to go through this. So I know that I will. How often do we put our faith in our own faith? You know, you hear people say all the time, you got to have faith. Just believe. Just have faith in this. It sounds like they're encouraging you to take out your sword and to wave it around. I want to change our vocabulary a bit. Because really, instead of telling someone, have faith, you know what the best thing to tell them is? Just tell them, God is your father. Instead of saying, just believe, just have faith, tell them Jesus loves you. Tell them you are God's child. Because then it bases everything on God's relationship to us. And when we, when we see that and we view that, we don't feel bad about, uh-oh, do I have enough faith in here? And we try to, to build it up in ourselves. When we just say, man, God's done it all for me. God gives me the faith. He's my father. He wants me to believe in him, and so I will. And that's why Jesus was able to do this. He trusted in his father's words and promises. So our last point is this. A confident faith is based on God's relationship to us and not on our dedication to him. God's relationship to us and not on our dedication to him. And I want to finish on this point, because today I've, I've kind of been picking on the, on the mere human beings, right? I've been picking on Peter and Judas and the disciples and really showing how they didn't have any faith. They had big hiccups in their faith life. And, and sure, you might say, yeah, Jesus had faith because, well, you know, he's true God. So I guess I've got to be true God to have uh, real faith, right? Let's look at the Apostle Peter one last time. This guy who deserts Jesus here and later denies Jesus three times. And Peter's name means rock. Well, we saw that the rock crumbled. His faith had a giant hiccup. But let's look, because you know what's neat is that even before all this happened, this is what Jesus told Peter. He actually blessed Peter and commended him for his faith because Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He said, there's, there's no hope found except in you. Peter made this confession. And you know what Jesus said? Jesus said, Peter, you're blessed for making that. Because I'm going to build my entire church on that rock-solid confession. Meaning that Christianity is all about Jesus. And Peter was the one who said this. This man whose faith crumbled. This man whose faith was not there. This man who we see that after he denied Jesus, it says that he went out and he wept bitterly. But you know what he did after he wept bitterly? What I think he did? Was he probably thought about all these points we were talking to today. Because there was someone else in his situation. Judas. Judas had betrayed God. Judas had a hiccup in his faith. But instead of turning to his relationship with God, he turned to himself and said, I can't do anything more. And so he took his own life. 
Peter was truly repentant. But you know what he probably did? He looked back to the evidence. He looked back and said, wait, Jesus said that my words, my confession of him is going to be what the Christian church is built on. That must mean that, that that confession is worth something. He looked to the future and to the hope he had. He saw Jesus rise from the dead. He was there and saw him alive. He knew what Jesus did on the cross, and he trusted on the cross and on the empty tomb for his faith. That's where it was focused, not on what he had just failed to do. And ultimately, he trusted in God's relationship to him. God was his father. And you know where we see Peter in the New Testament? Go and read about Pentecost and read that sermon that Peter gave that'll knock your socks off. This man who crumbled under pressure, boy, he stood up. And more and more, he passionately served Christ. More and more, we see that in the face of persecution, in the face of imprisonment, and even in the face of death, the name of Jesus didn't leave his lips. And Peter wouldn't say it's because of him. He'll say, I tried that once with my sword. It it didn't work. All I got was an ear. He would say it's because I just simply knew that what God did, I trusted in that relationship. So it's really not even about faith at all, is it? It's really about what God has done for us, what God promises to us. So I want you to know that, that you have that faith because God has given it to you. You have that faith to endure the tough times. Look back to the evidence. Look forward to the future promises. Look to the cross and to the tomb as your your focus of your faith. And live out passionately what you now believe. Let's take a look at our next steps here. My next steps in the crosswalk. Pick one main point and focus on it this week. So take, take one of these, one of these that you might find interest in, and really focus on that. Focus on this is what faith is described as. Again, not something that we have to conjure up ourselves, just a definition of what faith is. Second, meditate on and memorize Isaiah 53, 4-6. Again, that's a very famous, awesome passage, a prediction from the past of what Jesus would do for us. And I left the third one blank. Pastor Jeff talked about our little hoopla event at 10.22 for 22 minutes. I want to challenge you to attend that. And we're going to make it a little bit fun. But we're just going to talk even more about, you know, I talked about Peter living out his faith passionately. Come to this event and just kind of see how God wants us to live out our faith passionately, especially on a day like Easter where all this really comes to fruition. So just think about that. Consider that. Okay? And if you can't make it, you can email me and I'll email you the PowerPoint slides. Okay? Maybe I'll come to your house and do it my own. Pre- no, I won't. I won't do that. But. All right. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we have talked a lot about faith today, a confident faith. And uh, first and foremost, we want to thank you for the fact that we don't have to worry about building up this faith in ourselves. When Sometimes when we're kind of running low on the faith meter is what it seems, let us just remind ourselves that you're our Father. Remind ourselves that the Holy Spirit gives us faith. Remind ourselves that Jesus is our Savior. Base all those thoughts on, on you. Lord, point us to the past. Point us to the evidence of you've 
You've proved yourself to us many times, not only to us, but to other Christians and and people in the Bible. And Lord, let us always focus on the cross and on the empty tomb. Those are things rock solid to build our faith on. And we know we can pray all these things in Jesus' name, who lived for us and who died for us. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Crosswalk Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at crosswalkphoenix.com.